Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 14. Entrepreneurship, tech startups, innovation, coding, they're all words we're hearing with increasing frequency. And if I'm completely honest, I'm not sure I could give an adequate description to any of them. My guest in today's show is Astrid Yonelinus. Astrid is, I think, the first guest on this podcast who sits firmly in Gen Y. She is the co-founder of a startup. She is a student of mechatronics engineering, and she is one of Australia's brightest young innovators with an award to prove it. During the chat you're about to hear, we talk about Astra's recent tour of Silicon Valley, what she saw there, and how it inspired her. We talk about the barriers to Australia taking a piece of the tech startup pie and the political initiatives that seem to be missing the mark. And, like a clueless old man, I ask Astrid some really basic questions about coding, robotics, and mechatronics. We also talk about the technology of the future and the role it will play in all our lives. Just as important as our discussion about the nuts and bolts of technology, Astrid represents the new generation, the millennials or Gen Yers. If they haven't already flooded into your workplace, they'll be there soon. And Astrid gives us some candid insight into how they think, engage with others, and what they have to offer a conversation. I hope you enjoy my chat with one of Queensland's brightest young innovators and entrepreneurs, Astrid Yonelinus. Astrid Yanellinus, thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. Happy to be here. Astrid, you got my attention when I saw that you were one of Queensland's 20 brightest young innovators and entrepreneurs to win a competition to travel to Silicon Valley and visit companies like Facebook, Apple and Twitter. Tell us about that competition. How were you selected? Oh, well, to begin, I might talk about the, the trip in general. So the trip was for Startup Catalyst. And Startup Catalyst is all about taking 20 people from tech backgrounds from Queensland over to Silicon Valley and putting them into that uh, high growth entrepreneurship environment and showing them uh, that we can do the same things over here as they are doing over there. Like my background, I've been involved with a startup previously that we won a Young Innovator Award at a hackathon for. Um, So that was mainly in mining and it was all about retrofitting um, hardware onto uh, mining equipment to save energy. Um, So from there, uh, I heard about the Startup Catalyst trip and I thought it would be a great opportunity to uh, expand my skills and learn more about the startup scene and everything. Um, So I applied through there. It was like an online application for about a month. So you just had to talk about like why you're interested in entrepreneurship, what skills you had, because you had to come from a technical background. I think in total, 131 people applied this year. And then from there, they shortlisted us and we um, underwent an interview process before hearing if we were selected or not to go on the trip. 
So tell us about that experience of visiting those iconic organisations in Silicon Valley. Uh, The whole trip was incredible to go to these companies. It was very tiring. We went to about three companies a day. Um, I think uh, there were lots of surprises I found with the big companies because you kind of view them as, you know, just these like online presences like Facebook and Twitter, you know, you know, they're there. But when you go there and realize that they're places and all the people that are there and they're people just like you that, you know, they think they're changing the world one step at a time and they honestly believe what they're doing is right. And it's just incredible to see the people behind the companies. What was the most impressive company that you visited? Um, honestly, I'm going to have to go with Facebook. I was never like a huge Facebook fan before I went, but like the way you walk into there, like you go to the car park, it just like looks like a normal building. And then you walk in and it's a whole nother world. It's a whole campus. And I think one of the funniest parts was actually when we were going to our boardroom and, you know, the guy's like, oh, we're going to have to walk through Instagram. And it's like, Instagram's a place. And yeah, Instagram is a place and you walk through and everyone's like, yeah, everyone in this room works for Instagram. This is just like the entirety of Instagram. And you're like, wow, okay. So how many people were there there for Instagram? Uh, a lot of empty desks because they really promote the whole you can work outside and everything, but not as many as you would expect behind, you know, such a high caliber social media kind of network. And I, I believe that you also had the opportunity to meet some Aussie entrepreneurs who are working or running companies in Silicon Valley. Yeah, definitely. So most of the tech companies we went to, like Facebook and everything, most people who toured around with us were all from Australia, which was, it was really great to like talk to them and hear about their stories. I know when we went to Atlassian, there was a lady there who was from uh, Sydney and she fully spoke to us about moving over there and everything. But I think one of the key things though, uh, talking to all of them, was that a lot of us wanted us to succeed uh, with startups over here so that they can come back and have their kids grow up in Australia. Because there, there very much is that attitude at the moment. I saw a guy interviewed on TV the other day, I can't remember his name, um, and he was saying that there's just not, he was an Australian guy, and he was saying there's just not the opportunity to do what I want to do here in Australia. What, where are we falling short there? Why, why aren't there opportunities like that? Uh, I think a lot of the opportunities uh, also come down to like the market, I guess. America has a larger population and everything, so they can, I guess, push things out quicker to more people, which I guess we don't have that edge. Um, Otherwise, over there, they have so many like opportunities for startups. And I know that people over there, when they finish high school or whatever, their choices are, oh, do I start a startup or do I go to university? Over here, like... Uh, leaving high school, you know, oh, I want to go to university or do a trade. A lot of people don't go through that thought process of I'm going to start my own company, which I think is uh, a big education thing of getting people to view that they can do this. So when you were there and they were taking you through Instagram and Facebook, were they were you behind a glass wall, unable to see or talk to anyone, or was it very open and you were you were right amongst the the people who work there and seeing exactly what they do? How close to the action were you getting? It was very open, to be honest. Uh, of course, there were some co- uh, companies that were more secretive than others. You know, just, you know. Who? Tell us who. Uh, well, a lot of places was like no photos, definitely. I think a majority of places we went to was like no photos to be taken inside. Obviously, you can take photos of like the sign and stuff outside. But otherwise, they were really open to like any questions you wanted to know and everything. So I think it also... A lot of it is self-promotion though as well for the companies, knowing that these people are coming from Australia to see our company. We can kind of promote and show them everything and be like, this is why you want to come work here. And obviously Mark Zuckerberg himself took you on the tour of Facebook? Uh, no, he didn't. He was actually not uh, at Palo Alto at the Wasn't at work that day? No, he wasn't. <laughs> so when you looked at those people sitting there working for Facebook or Instagram or what, all the other iconic companies you visited, did they seem like amazing special human beings to you? Someone you 
you would really love to be like or were they were they just normal people who happened to live in America and found themselves in Silicon Valley? Yeah, to be honest, that really surprised me going over there was I know a lot of us had the view that because of like, such the growth in the tech companies there that we would go over there and be not as skilled as them. But talking to those people is we're just as skilled as everyone over there which uh, shows that there's no reason why we can't be establishing companies like that over here in Queensland. Did, did that experience put a real fire in your entrepreneurial belly? It, it really did, yes. I think it was, it was really hard because talking to people over there, they were really about the difference between Silicon Valley and Australia and how a lot of people had views that, oh, uh, it's a completely different market, so succeeding over there and succeeding over here are two different things and that it might possibly be hard to bridge the gap. I kind of have views against that, though. I think that different markets have different needs so that I reckon in Australia there is still opportunity to hit the nail on the head and uh, start a startup that kind of inspires everyone over here because I feel like uh, Australia doesn't have, like, their Facebook yet, I guess. To an outsider, to someone who's not involved in this industry, it confuses me when we think about, America, there's so much opportunity because the population is so huge, but we're talking about online applications here. So it doesn't really matter where you create them, does it? No, it doesn't. Exactly. I think the only issues though with online stuff though, is that we don't have the servers and everything over here. Like I know talking to like Equinix and stuff about like their data centers where they, you know, store everything. Is that a lot of it? Like, you know, you took them out, oh, where you want to open up next? And a lot of them focus on more like Asia and stuff because it's just more connected to connect like Europe and everywhere with that's kind of what Australia lacks on is like it just the geographical location. So, so when you say we lack the service, we, we literally physically don't have the, the number of servers that we might need to host a Facebook. Well, it's not really the server. It's just more the the internet and everything connecting, uh, being so connected to the world, I guess, because we're so far away, different time zones. Like it's a 16-hour difference between here and America as well. So pushing out to those people is, you know, different, you know, you just run into issues there, I guess. Astrid, a statement from that competition reads, Astrid intends to create a startup company that provides automated mechanical, electrical and software solutions that helps to increase efficiency and improves people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, so I guess the whole, I'm from a mechatronics engineering background, so I'm still currently studying, but that encompasses uh, mechanical, electrical, and software counterparts. So pretty much things that I like to design and build, I guess, encompass those three things. Um, when they mention efficiency, that is talking about like previous things with the whole mining and looking at how we can save energy. Otherwise, helping people's lives, I'm actually looking to start startups in the medical scene for mainly children, providing solutions there that are more like automated and everything. Tell us what mechatronics really is. I mean, honestly, when I read it in your profile, it was the first time I'd ever come across the word and you're doing an entire degree on it. Yeah. So mechatronics, I think it's a fairly new degree. Uh, So it's engineering, but it's it's a hybrid degree. So it's mechanical, software and electrical rather than just one of the, I guess, main pathways in engineering. So a lot of people, when they think mechatronics, they think robotics because robotics pretty much encompass all of that. But I think there's more to mechatronics than just robotics. So when people view that, because it is just about anything that has these three things to it. I'm going to ask you in a little bit more detail later about your study, because it is a fascinating, it's fascinating to to hear about something that 
previously I, I heard nothing I knew nothing about uh, I did of course know a little bit about robotics I, I know yeah. I think what it means when they say you're studying robotics but we'll ask you a little bit about that later but back to that statement I read from the competition I, I'm really interested to know that whether you identify more strongly as an inventor or an entrepreneur to be honest, I probably more as an inventor. Coming from a tech background for me, a lot of it is about building things. So after, you know, I guess if you find an idea and an unmet need and then, you know, you kind of come up with a product and have then the technology behind that product, for me, I'm really uh, driving the technology. Um, so for me, a goal would be I'd rather be like a CTO, a technical officer, rather than actually executive, uh, you know, doing all the paperwork and everything, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so so how strongly – so you obviously identify more strongly with the inventor. Is the entrepreneur thing real in your life? Do you really imagine yourself – well, you've, you've already said that you're going to be creating startups. Is that because you're entrepreneurially minded or because what you want to do simply doesn't exist so you have to create it? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Like uh, me personally, I want to be creating these things and entrepreneurship allows me to create these things and bring it to the world. And if I honestly believe that my product can help someone, that's uh, literally the path I'm going to have to take. So when you finished school at Clairvaux MacKillop, I, I read your profile, you elected to go into a degree where you're majoring in mechatronics and your second major is robotics. How did you come across that? What made you want to go and study those two things? It was actually an interesting journey for me. So when I finished high school, I didn't actually go straight into engineering. I actually, I decided to go to QUT and I wasn't 100% sure because I don't think anyone really is 100% sure coming out of high school. So I actually studied an interactive and visual design degree, which is all about, you know, graphic design, like uh, interactive, like apps, websites, all about like interaction design. Um, but going through that degree, I found that I didn't really enjoy, I guess, like the marketing side of it and all the like, I guess, pretty pictures and everything, uh, illustration. I preferred the back end, which was all like the coding and everything. So after I studied that for a year and then like looking at my options and I decided to go into engineering because I liked, you know, all the coding and everything. I actually had intentions to go into software engineering. And then having started the degree, because you have to do the general first year. Um, I actually really enjoyed all my mechanical and electrical subjects. So I ended up in mechatronics purely because it was just what I enjoyed. So that's kind of how I got there. It wasn't like the intention that I'm going to go do this, this and this straight out of high school or anything. So so what does a mechatronics student do at university? Do you sit around creating stuff with tiny little screws and electric drills, building robots and things that have levers and, and engines what do you what do you actually do surprisingly we do that not as not as a whole every single subject every semester we usually have at least one project a semester though which is really good uh, I know at QUT because it's really hands-on and I know I uh, like reading textbooks and stuff you don't get that experience but we do have a lot of like theory-based subjects so each semester I usually do about three purely theory like usually I do one mechanical subject one electrical soft subject and one software subject and then on top of that there's usually some sort of project which I guess brings our skills together also works on like I guess working in teams and everything learning about like agile mythologies and how you know you can work together so before we we, we went on record today you were telling me a story about a dinner you went to last night and you heard Anastasia Palaszczuk talk about the fact that uh, we need more young people studying coding I want, this is a two-part question. First of all, I want you to explain to someone like me who is far from a technology native, 
what we mean when we say coding. What is coding all about? To someone like you, it, it's a, a word that, that makes complete sense. To someone like me, I know nothing more than there's a couple of different programming languages and that people who create the apps that I love to use on my phone are coders. Tell us what a coder is. So, uh, yeah, so coding and programming. So I guess you probably view it as someone sitting behind a computer writing a bunch of text in a language you don't really understand. That's how I see it. Um, I, I think you'll find a lot of coders and programmers are really problem solvers because they actually have to come up with the logic and everything on how they want to implement something. And then they would uh, code that in the language that a computer or a phone would understand. So I guess you could also look at at them as translators, I guess, with the fact that they'll come up with an idea, they'll work out how to, I guess, code or program it into their language of that a computer can understand. So how many coding languages are there? I do not know exactly, but there's a lot for and a lot of different things. And how many coding languages are you able to work in? Uh, really proficiently, probably two very well, but I do have a background in a lot of different ones. Like, for example, like I'm really good at like C and MATLAB and stuff. But, you know, um, I guess coming from other backgrounds, like I can do HTML, you know, other languages, if that makes sense. Just there's a lot out there. So is that because it's a really new young industry and things haven't settled down yet to the dominant code language? You know, when we were talking earlier about MP3 players, there was this jockeying for a few years about what MP3 player would emerge and then all of a sudden, everyone's got an iPhone in their pocket. That, that question is answered. Is it the same with code? Will there one day be one dominant coding language that everyone knows? Or will it always be a case where people like you need to know multiple languages? I think it will always be multiple languages because I think you'll find... But they have different uses, do they? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of different languages have different uses, definitely. I know when I code in MATLAB, it's uh, for math-based, uh, I guess, programs and things. So I guess it, that, that takes into account like with all the different languages, like the stuff like deep learning, you know, AI, everything like that kind of goes around their own language that can like apply that and help you code that. So the apps that I download from the app store and, and have on my computer and my phone, are they one type of, of app and they're mostly coded in the same language? Uh, most likely, yeah. It depends. I know that it can be quite different between iPhone and Androids and stuff. Um, but you'd have to talk to an like an app developer probably primarily for that. That's not really my well, thing. All right, I'm, you see, <laughs> to me, you said coding. Yeah, you 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 represent that that whole thing to me. So okay. I'm probably asking questions outside of your expertise. Our politicians are keen for more young people to learn how to code, but you don't think that's the problem. No, I don't think that's the problem. I know that a lot of politicians have the uh, belief that, like, I guess. If you target them the young to get them to code in, in robotics, that, that'll give them a brighter future. But it makes sense on a surface level. It does. Though the only issue that I see coming from, I guess, a university student standpoint is that there are so many engineers, there are so many of us like with robotics and programming backgrounds, and I feel like Australia needs more opportunities rather than more education for us. So there's enough people doing those kind of courses at university. It's just a case of what do they do when they finish. Exactly. So I think... Um, I guess if the government looked more into that, which I think they are starting to do with the whole initiatives with all innovation and everything, but I think that's probably somewhere more to address rather than targeting children. So that leads me to your future. So you'll be finishing uni soon and you've got a career to begin. What's your vision for that career? Where is it all heading for you? Uh, to be honest, it's a bit of like an unknown, which is good because I'm always open for challenges and everything. 
but I haven't a hundred percent thought it through. I mean, I have like where like areas I want to work in. I think currently while studying though, I'm going to continue to like uh, venture down the startup path, do stuff on the side. Cause I think being a university student is when we have the time to take the most risks. We're not tied down. We don't have a lot of responsibilities. And I think you don't have a mortgage. Yeah, exactly. So I think that uh, really is a perfect time to take the opportunity to venture down, take the risks, you know, see what incredible things I can build or what incredible things I can't build and learn from that. So if you had to take a punt and imagine what you'll be doing today in five years time, what would it be? Hopefully building magnificent robots that are going to help people. Tell me more about that. In, in what way? What, what are you, what's your vision? What do you, what do you actually see when you imagine that future? Yeah, so one one of my goals was I'm um, being from robotics. I'm hoping in five years' time or maybe further down the track than that, that I guess each household has a robot, I guess, in their household. I'm not talking about um, like a crazy robot that does everything, you know, looks after the kids, cooks you food, but, you know, just like little things like, I guess, like health monitoring or just energy efficiency, things like that. So when, when you talk about a robot, because you actually know what you're talking about, you're not talking about something dressed like a maid rolling around on wheels dusting the bookshelf you're talking about um, pieces of software that are doing important things for us yeah well robots are mainly so robots encompass pretty much three main aspects it's uh sense think and act so when you think of like robots that's pretty much what they do they sense the world around them they think about it and then they act on that so that's really the, my view on robotics at least it's not yeah it's not a crazy robot running around your house you know fixing you know your problems I guess you said earlier that that you see yourself more as an inventor and the entrepreneurial thing pretty much is forced on you because of the the industry that you you want to work in it just doesn't exist you're trying to create your own role so how will you find that balance between wanting to be an inventor, that very high level technical skills, and also needing to start your own business and be business minded as well? Is that something that you're thinking about? Yeah. So I wouldn't say it was really forced on me, but I guess my personality, like I'm really passionate. Everything I do, I put all of my effort into. So I guess for me, entrepreneurship is really good because I can work at my pace and I can go as fast as I want and everything. Um, but I think uh, starting like a business and everything, I definitely probably don't have the business skills. So I definitely have to branch out and meet like-minded people, I guess, with those capabilities. So there's the, the technical knowledge that you're obviously gathering at university and you, you talk about things that I barely understand. Um, you have got a mind for an invention and an understanding of of the entrepreneurial spirit that you need to create this new industry. What about the people side of doing business? What what are your philosophies? What do you understand about that? Are there any principles that have really grabbed you and resonated with you and, and affected the way that you engage with others? Um, I think for me, the main thing with people is that they really care and that they really believe what they're doing is right. Um, so for me, even if someone may not have like the super great skills, but if they're passionate and, you know, they're working hard and they want to do this, I know that I will be able to work well with them because that's the kind of person that I am. What's different about the way people work together, engage, interact within a startup environment compared to what you might find in a more traditional workplace? I think in a startup environment, it's a lot more pressure and stress, which I think, uh, well, at least I've found is that you have to have really good bonds with people to to push through that otherwise you just tend to fall apart 
So I think that's the the main thing, I guess, with all the startups is that usually your team is like your family because you, you go through your hardships together, you make sure you get through together. So yeah, that's pretty much sums it up. <laughs> so do you think some of those, those old school traditional workplace rules uh, are thrown out the window in the startup environment because it is all encompassing? It's not a job, it's almost a lifestyle? Yeah, I can completely agree with that. And to be honest, going to Silicon Valley, a lot of those companies do have those environments. Like I know you walk around like a workplace and it's just desks everywhere. There's no like, oh, this room is for these people and this room is for these people. Like sure, they'll be grouped in areas where they're all working on the same projects for like ease of communication. But there's no sort of, I guess, hierarchy, I guess, of like corporate cultures a lot of the time. It's everyone is working on something to get, you know, as a group rather than, oh, well, I'm above you, so I'm in this office and stuff like that. And, and as you imagine moving into the workplace, and I know that you, you've done a, a number of projects through your time at uni, what do you think workplaces, already established workplaces, need to learn or be ready for as your generation comes through into the professional environment? What don't we know about the way that people of your generation work and engage and think? I think the main thing is, I guess, listening. I know talking to like um, other students and everything that people have so many like ideas and like you hear them like talk about something and, you know, you're like, oh, why don't you just tell them that? And they're like, oh, well, they're not going to listen to me. I'm just, you know, a university student, you know, they probably have 10 years experience and I, I don't even know if like what I'm saying is right. I think that's the main thing is like, I guess, talking to them and hearing about like what we think we can bring because a lot of us, Um, have skills and passion that we can help you know your companies grow if you just take the time to listen and hear what we can do for you what do you think older people in traditional workplaces have trouble listening to the the next generation what's the gap there oftentimes i think it could be that maybe they view us as like i guess their children and stuff i guess they might have the view that oh well you know i've been in the industry longer and like, I guess for us, we know that the industry is changing so quickly. Like, you know, you wake up tomorrow and something's, you know, overtaken Facebook, you know, that's just probably like a normal thing for us. We know that that's the generation we've grown up in that everything's changing. You go, you know, from Snapchat to Instagram to something in like, you know, a day. Um, and I think um, the older generation probably hasn't really gone through that as much as we have, I guess, with in the technology sense. It's very much true about the difference between technology natives people who have only ever known technology and and people like myself who have brought it on you know at some point in their life and gotten used to using it there's a completely different way of thinking about it isn't it when you when you're native it's not just actually using the technology and knowing what buttons to press and knowing a code coding language it's also understanding the way the entire industry works and that yesterday's snapchat will be tomorrow's something completely different and the world will move on yeah, exactly. And I it's also like interesting to note, like even though we might be so tech savvy, our generation, I know looking at people like my younger sister who, you know, when it comes to like iPods and iPads and all things like that, like they are probably more, te- he, she's probably more tech savvy than I am with those kind of things, which is just interesting because it's just that she's grown up in the environment where they've always been around, they've always used them. I know um, like my little brother, my little sister, they they use laptops at school. Like I never used a laptop at school. It was purely writing things out. And you know, this, you know, they're telling me like, oh no, we do it all online. And I'm like, what do you mean you can do math class on a computer? Which is really interesting to view. Like I know, I think I was reading somewhere about issues where um, in the future that perhaps there'll be generations that don't know how to write properly because they're purely, everything is on a laptop. 
which is very interesting. So, and that's, and the, what you're saying there just points out how quickly things change. So I see your generation as, as com- completely different in the way you use technology to me, but you're pointing out that just your younger brothers and sisters are using things completely differently to you and they're only a few years younger. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's probably like a five-year gap between my little sister and I. And yeah, it just shows how quickly the generations move. So even though you look at us and go, oh, wow, look at the things they're building. Like imagine in, you know, 10 years time when they're in our positions and imagine what they're going to be building. And I guess it's people like us that need to keep pushing forward to have these opportunities to give to even like other generations to be like, you know, we can build these companies that they can grow up and work on. So I've asked you to imagine what you'll be doing in five years. I want to now ask you to imagine what we'll all be doing in five years. How will our lives be different in five, 10, 20 years? I think one of the key things is probably autonomous cars. I think of really, I guess, driving factor. <laughs> um, so I know there's a lot of emphasis. And I know lots of companies are racing. I was actually just the other night I was uh, watching a uh, commercial. I'm not sure what uh, car company it was that had already come up with an innovative idea on what you'll do in a self-driving car where, you know, how you, you spend your time. Yeah. You click the button and the screens pop around. You can take photos. And it, it's just interesting to look at companies and realize that they're literally one step ahead being like waiting for things to come out to then, oh, we've already done this. Which the, is- the whole autonomous car thing, it really gets me excited. I hope you're right. I hope that is one of the things that changes. And I hope that at the core of the autonomous car is safety, that they're taking yes. away the, the human element of mistake on the road. I hope that in my lifetime, soon, we look back at the era where road deaths were something that we talked about all the time and see that as a thing of the past, as something barbaric. I can't believe we put up with yeah. that. That's one of the things that that I hope changes. And, and that's the great hope we have in technology, that it solves problems like that, problems that have always just been part of society and we haven't really questioned their presence. I mean, we we don't want them to be there and we mourn whenever tragedies happen, but we don't question the fact that they will exist. That's the great thing about technology, that they can make enormous step changes in the way that we go about normal stuff. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. So for me, like I like building things that improve people's lives like for me it's not about oh replacing everyone's jobs and oh we don't we can do it make a robot do that i think using uh robotics and replacing things that i guess are like strenuous and hazardous i think is one of the key things definitely to that why is so much of your work been in the mining industry is that because there's so much scope for saving energy and making things safer um well in Australia, I guess mining is one of the biggest things. Um, so yeah, my first startup in mining was uh, looking at like coal crushes. And it actually takes 4% of the entire world's energy just to crush rocks. Um, it's barbaric, isn't it? So to come up with a solution that can save even 25% of that energy, you can initially, if you put it on everything in the world, that's 1% of the world's energy that you can save. And you were involved in a small group who created such a piece of technology. Yes, we did create a prototype. Um, we, it was part of the Unearthed Hackathon, and we actually won a uh, Young Innovator Award for it. So. And where's that going now? Is it, I mean, is every coal crusher in Australia using that technology now? Uh, no, no, it's not. Why? Uh, well, to be honest, uh, the our group, we were all in different parts of our lives and everything, 
And it was uh, a team issue, I guess, where, like I mentioned with startups, you either pull together and you're kind of like a family or you kind of fall apart. And like our group was like, because it was like a hackathon weekend, everyone comes together for three days, you know, you can work on it. But then after that, you go back to your real lives where people have jobs, people are still studying, you know, some people aren't that serious as others. And I guess, yeah, that's where you kind of fall short. So there's an idea that sits out there at prototype stage that will save coal crushing companies. And I know there are contractors and the big players do it themselves as well, that will save those companies 1% 1% from their power bill yeah, and it hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, well, a lot of companies are you find they're already making so much money that's even, one, you know, 1% or whatever, it's not actually like a huge, I guess, difference. And I guess with, you know, the, uh, the mining industry, I guess, in Australia, not as, I guess, solid anymore that they, mm, a lot of them... Lack of investment. Yeah, a lot of them don't have the opportunity to be like, oh, well, let's try this new thing. You know, these people thought, you know, this was a good idea. Why don't we try it? And I guess it comes back to, I guess, just listening to people. And like, I know I'm not the only one from a group of people with ideas like this. There are people like all over, I guess, Queensland, Australia, that are working on ideas just like, you know, things like this, that people aren't really listening and reaching out for that, where, you know, there's people like us that are pushing through to kind of talk to people and just kind of get pushed back because, you know, oh, well, we're not accredited. We don't have a degree yet. Stuff like that. Their appetite is not there. Yes. And I know we're bouncing around here, but I want to go back to that question because your first answer was fabulous when I asked you what will be different in our life 5, 10, 20 years, automated cars, that you've hit my favourite. What else, something that I probably haven't imagined yet that you know will be true? Probably another thing, I guess, is I know if you had like cochlear, like their bionic ear, so they can pretty much uh, cure deafness, I guess. Um, I know a huge thing on the horizon is the bionic eye. I know there was like lots of talk about that recently. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for, I guess, um, stuff like that, bionic. Yeah. So where are we putting our energy? So much of the technology we talk about from day to day is, just, is I was going to say just, but it's social media, which is, has great, it's great impact. It keeps us all engaged. And I love the effect of Facebook where it makes me feel as though I'm in touch with people I haven't seen for years, but I know they've had kids. I know what they've done. You know, I know they've gone on holidays here. It's great. Love it. But it's hardly a game changer. It doesn't make the world a better place in a measurable way. But things like automated cars do. Um, things like saving 1% of the energy on a mine site do. They make the, you know, they make the world a better place by, by helping the cause against climate change. Where are we focusing our energy? Uh, places like Silicon Valley still focusing their energy on the fun stuff because that's what makes the money and that's what pe- piles people on board? Or is there a, a, and is there a subculture of people who study the sort of things that you do who are doing the real serious stuff, who are going to make the world a safer, healthier, happier place? Well, that's exactly right. A lot of people really focus on the glamorous industries because, you know, no one wants to go, you know, I guess work on a dirty mind site when, you know, they can be, you know, lapping it up on like Facebook or whatever, um, which is actually really interesting because I know me, I come from more hardware where, you know, we look at, you know, I guess hardware solutions like autonomous cars. But a lot of issues you run into with stuff like that where coding, you can pretty much fabricate money from nothing because it's just you write the code, you issue it. Oh, look at what this incredible thing can do. When I know coming from hardware, having to prototype and everything is an expensive process, which, you know, if you're starting a startup and you need people to invest in that, 
you really run into issues there where, you know, if you don't have the money, whereas, yeah, if you are from a programming background, you can just make something, some glamorous app or something just, you know, straight behind your laptop and issue it out the next day. So is it, is it kind of like two types of, of entrepreneurs and inventors in, in your world? Those, those people who do the, the no cost, I'm going to do some coding uh, and create this cool new app that people might play with. And then there's other people who are trying to solve problems that require hardware, require investment and, and a long-term plan. I wouldn't say that they're two different types of people. I just think it's two different types of industries, I would say. Because a lot of apps and stuff, yeah, they are trying to like meet like a need by society. Because that's kind of the main thing that people aren't going to use it if they don't need it. Um, but yeah, I would say that I kind of look at a different industry and a different uh, view on things because I am from more a hardware background rather than purely, you know, oh, I, I coded this and, you know, I can push it out. Like for me, it's like if I build something, it's like, oh, look what I built. And it goes, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, but now I need this much so I can build a better, like an actual thing where it, where it wasn't just wires soldered together, you know, in my room. If an that actual makes sense. prototype. Yeah. Something that people will look at and go, oh, wow, that looks professional. I would buy that rather than, oh, is this in like a cardboard box? Which was actually funny. The prototype that we um, built for the the mining one was literally, I think it was an empty Glad wrap box that we taped everything to. So wow, <laughs> and and it just hasn't gone past that stage because, as we talked about, the lack of appetite of, for yeah. investment. So is there is that the missing piece in Australia that that investment phase where people will put money into ideas like yours to turn it into a reality? Is that what could change in Australia to make this? one of those hubs like San Francisco? I think a lot of it is not actually investors. Like I think for Australia, we do have quite a lot of investors. I think the main thing is getting Australians and stuff that are in Silicon Valley in America to come back and do this in Australia. Because I know they say there's not the opportunities, but so many over there are just waiting for the opportunity to come back home. And I feel like they're not really helping that because unless they're bringing money back into, you know, our economy and everything and bringing back their ideas and their skills to be like, let's build this here, that they're not really helping that hub happen because they're just, oh, we'll wait until someone else does it and then we'll come back and, you know, yay for being Australian, I guess. So... What's next for you? I, I assume that you'll you'll finish university. But when I was doing a bit of research about you, I see that you've been involved in a massive number of projects. Um, you're involved in a whole bunch of groups. So apart from finishing university, what's next on the horizon for you? So yeah, I think I'm going to continue to work on as many projects as possible. Because for me right now, I guess in my life, it's all about expanding my skills, getting experience. Because I am quite young. So I think it would be you know, to know that I've done a lot of things will, I think will aid me. Like, I guess even me personally, knowing that, oh yeah, I built something like that. You know, this isn't such, you know, a hard leap to go over. But yeah, otherwise mainly just studying, I guess. Astrid, I always finish my interviews by asking my guests the same four questions. And I know that you've, you've listened to a couple of my podcasts. So you've probably prepared the answers to these questions. Have you? I don't think so. You don't think so? <laughs> you haven't listened right to the end then. All right. Question number one, what is your ideal Saturday night? A big party with lots of people you know or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Probably intimate dinner if it's good food. <laughs> and tell me, are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail of something or caught daydreaming? Probably bogged down in the detail of something. Really? Very good. Very nice, honest answer. I think that's the answer for a lot of people, but they don't like to give that answer. <laughs> and what about the way that you make decisions? Are you a slave to rational thought process or do you make decisions based on emotion? I think a lot of it's rational, to be honest. And last question. You're going on a road trip. 
Do you like to book the hotel rooms, plan the route and know exactly where you're going or do you just get in the car and drive? Definitely book and plan, definitely. <laughs> Astrid Yonelinus, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming and having a chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. And there you have Astrid Yonelinus. As you would no doubt have noticed, I was largely out of my depth during that conversation. Technology and the business models that support it are a brave new world, an exciting new industry. It was wonderful to have someone on the show that represents that new world in such a lively, dignified and intelligent way. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from this episode on the Lessons Learned page from the podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. And keep an eye out on the Team Guru website for the next episode on this, my mission to bring the theory of team and leadership development to life. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.